Hey, um, man, how sweet it is to be back in God's house. And I know that some of you are sitting at home right now and you're going, I'm not there. You've got a team of people here this morning that are, are getting ready for you next week. We're so excited about God's family being back together. And so um, this morning, I wanna just remind you that moving forward next week, we will be opening the doors back up. Um, our service times are a little bit different. I know you've probably heard this 15 times, so go ahead and check it off. You've heard it 16 now. We're gonna be moving our services from nine to 11 o'clock. That way it gives people ample time um, to get people on campus, to get people off campus, to try to keep the hallways as least congested as possible. Um, so that's why we're moving those from nine to 11. So make sure that if you're one of our 1030 folks that you're here at 11 o'clock um, for the beginning of service next week. Hey, um, once again, I can honestly tell you that as of Tuesday, most of you know that's my study day. And, and I can honestly say that I, in all the time that I've prepared um, to bring a message or to, to bring to you what God, what God has laid on our heart, I've never battled and wrestled with something as hard as I wrestled on Tuesday. You know, I love everybody, if you know anything about me, I love to push print on Tuesday, meaning that it's done, we're good. It was two o'clock on Tuesday afternoon and I had no idea where we were going. I yelled at God for a little while, got up under my desk and punched the floor a little while. I was aggravated because I was like, God, wait, this is gonna be our first chance to be back in the house with your people and God, so this should be a whole lot easier. Well, what I find in most cases is when I wrestle with God the most is when God teaches the most. And that's what God has done in my heart this week. So I want you to listen this morning as we share from God's word. But I wanna start out by kind of setting the table for a, for a, with a story that'll kind of help you understand what, what Paul is trying to say in 1 Corinthians chapter nine. I remember that it was my first international mission trip. I remember that we would go through training and we would go through all of the, the trying to figure out what it was gonna be like when we got off the plane and landed in another country and one of the biggest topics that we discussed was, was, was culture, culture differences. So we were learning how the cultures were different and how that people acted different in different places around the world. And, and so as we landed um, in, in the country where we were going on our, on our trip, we, we got off the airplane and I will never forget, Tane Shannon was with me and <laughs> <laughs> and this is funny in and of itself. But I remember we crammed like 15 people in like a four passenger van. I don't even know if that's possible. So keep in mind that we've been preparing for culture differences, correct? So we all pile into this one little van. We get in this van and we drive for two hours on the wrong side of the road. So for American, I'm going, dude, this guy's nuts. There's no stop signs, there's no red lights. We've hit every pothole and every mud hole on this dirt road. We've dodged every farm animal that we as a child have sang about in Old MacDonald Had a Farm. We did all of this going to this church to minister to people. So as we arrive at the church, the building, there's a stack of concrete blocks. We walk into the room, there's one light bulb hanging in the room, dirt floors, chairs spread out all over the place. So as if I were not culture shocked enough, I'm jet lagged, 
I'm airplane dirty. How many of you know what airplane dirty is? That's just a disgusting dirty. I mean, your mouth, I mean, it's just disgusting. So as if all that is not enough, we're standing at the back doors, our whole team, we walk into the back of this church building and then all of a sudden they look, they're all sitting there waiting on our arrival, like we're something special. We were doing an eye camp, I believe, so we've all got on scrubs, so we really look like we know what we're doing when I had no clue about anything to do with your eyes. But in that moment, I was introduced to culture shock like never before because I'm standing at the door with our team. And then this little black man comes up to me and he grabs me by the hand to go take me to my seat. Pretty normal, pretty nice. Wrong. He grabbed my hand like this. And he interlocked his fingers into my fingers. And then he held onto my arm and he began to stroke my arm only the way that my wife should stroke my arm. So if I'm in America and that happens, you know what I'm doing? Dude, get off me. But in that moment, everybody's watching. The very same people that God sent us there to minister to are watching everything that I do. Had I responded the way that Americans or the flesh would have responded, had I shunned him, had I pushed him aside, guess what in that moment happens? I lose all opportunity to share the gospel with anybody. Because what that man was showing me in that culture was the highest level of honor and the highest level of love that that culture could offer. What he was doing by holding my hand, what he was doing by stroking my arm, he was saying, we love you. We love you. And so what our team had to do in that moment is we had to meet him where he was. We had to become all things to all people so that we could see them saved. And so I know that's kind of a, a, a comical story, but I don't think there's a better story that sets the stage for what Paul is gonna talk about in 1 Corinthians chapter nine. And I want you to go ahead and turn there as we're gonna be looking this morning. And just to kind of summarize and go back and revisit what Jared shared last week out of 1 Corinthians chapter eight. You remember there was a lot of discussion going on with these, the, the new believers. They're wondering, can we still eat meat? Because they've been, been in bondage to the Jewish law for so long. And, and Paul told them, he said, look, you have, because of your faith in Christ, you now have a new freedom. You now have a new liberty. However, if your freedom hinders the opportunity for you to share the gospel, then don't do it. Don't do it. You be sensitive to every person that you're coming in contact with. And he tells them, look, however you feel, however you want to respond, it's your freedom, you're entitled to do it because as a follower of Christ now, you're no longer bound to the law. However, what we have to do as believers, what Paul is encouraging us to do as the church is we're having to turn our back, so to speak, on our freedom to honor the beliefs of other people so that we don't create confusion. 
so that we don't hijack the platform that God has given us. And what happens in that moment as the believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, when we choose to die to ourselves, when we choose to even die to our own liberty, and when we choose to die to our own freedoms, what we're doing is we're putting somebody's eternity over our freedom. That's what the gospel is all about, is putting someone else's eternity in front of our liberty and in front of our freedom. And so in that moment, what all of us, what even I had to do when I was on my first mission trip is I had to die to my flesh. I had to die to, die to the things in the way that my culture would respond. But what we know is that what we will see is as the church responds this way, there's never been more of an example of love put on display. It is the poster child of humility, if you would, putting someone else's eternity before our own desires. And so what I love about Paul, um, you know, we, how many of you watched The Last Dance, Michael Jordan documentary? Okay, if you hadn't, you gotta go watch it. I don't know if you, he's still the greatest. Can I get an amen? Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan's the greatest. That's all I'm gonna say, all right? But if you remember in his interview, what was one of the things he said as a leader? He said, I'm never gonna ask anybody to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself. That is exactly what Paul says. Paul says that very thing. He says, I'm not gonna ask anyone to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself. And that's what we read about in the first 14 verses of chapter nine. Because you see, Paul, an apostle, in mine and your terms, that would put him as an employee of the church. He was in full-time ministry. He worked at the church full-time. So because of his apostleship, because of him being an apostle, because of him being a laborer for the gospel, a laborer for the church, it was his freedom and it was his liberty to demand wages from that church. It was his freedom to ask for them to pay him. He could have said, hey, I'm giving you so much time. Here's the money and the amount of money that I think I'm worth, so here's what you need to pay me. He had all the freedom to do that because of him being an apostle of the gospel. However, Paul was so sensitive to the very people that he was ministering to. You see, he... he you gotta remember back several weeks ago when we first started looking at Corinthians, what we know is that in this culture, in this society, they were a very philosophical community. They loved teachings, they loved knowledge, they loved philosophy. But what had happened in that culture, what had happened in their community is that these teachers, that these philosophers would, would request a lot of money for their services. And so most of your teachers, most of your philosophers were very, very wealthy, okay? Some of you teachers now are going, boy, things have changed these days. But what the, what, he had the freedom to do exactly what all the other teachers were doing. But because he was sensitive to what was going on in that culture, Paul died to that. He gave up that liberty. He gave up that freedom. And so he didn't request for them to support him. 
He didn't request for them to pay him for, for teaching. He didn't request them to do any of those things because he knew that if he did, that they would have an opportunity to twist his motives. That they could say, Paul, the only reason you're teaching, the only reason you're sharing this good news, the only reason you're sharing the gospel is because you wanna get rich. That's it. And Paul says, well, I'm gonna debunk that, so therefore, I don't need your money. I don't want you to pay me. And so at the same time, we gotta remember, he's having to be sensitive to two different people groups. You've got the Jews, you've got the Gentiles. If you know anything about the Jews and the Gentiles, they absolutely hated each other. They differed on so many levels because you see the Jews, they were all about labor and works. They believed in hard work. But you had the Gentiles or the Greeks in that time, they, they were usually the wealthy people and so they didn't believe in working. You know what their mindset was? I'll just hire somebody to do the work for me. And so you've got two extremes here. You've got one that loves work, one that hates work. Now, Paul's duty in that is to meet both of these groups where they're at. And so he says, you know what? I'm giving up my liberty. I'm giving up my freedom to look as I'm, a, as I'm working for money. I'm giving up all of those rights so that I will still have the platform, so that I will still have the opportunity to reach both. I'm giving it up because their eternity is more important than my liberty. Their eternity is more important than my freedom. And so he didn't ever want them to have an opportunity to question his motives. And we can read right here, one of Paul's, probably the most quoted verse that Paul had ever said that I know that we've been hearing a lot of, um, but it's in 1 Corinthians chapter nine. Look down with me in verse 22. And I'll just go ahead and warn you, we're gonna be bouncing all over chapter nine today. Um, so we're not reading some passage and then just walking through it. We're gonna be bouncing around, all right? So look with me about halfway through verse 22. This is probably the most stated verse that we use a lot of times when we're referencing Paul. He says in verse 22, I have become all things to all men so that I might be all means save some. Verse 23, we hear his motive. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker. So we read right there that Paul had absolutely no selfish motive. The only reason that Paul was being driven to do what he was doing, the reason he was becoming all things to all people had nothing to do with money, had nothing to do with his name being made famous, but Paul's desire was he wanted to see people saved. He was getting back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is why Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, he says, I am determined to know nothing but him and him crucified. That's all I'm gonna preach. That's all I'm going to teach is about the name of Jesus. What would happen in our country if all we worried about was the name of Jesus? Everything changes. Everything changes. Because Paul giving up this right, Paul giving up his freedom to request the finances from these people, he's putting their eternity over his desires or his wants or his freedom. 
What a monstrous example of love. You're never gonna see love put more on display than when we die to ourself. Could Jesus have stopped what was going on on the cross? Did he have the freedom? Did he have the power? Could he have done it? Absolutely, but guess what? He gave up his freedom. He gave up his liberty for your eternity and for mine. Paul is falling right in the footsteps of Jesus. Now let's think about what we're walking through right now as a, as a state, as a country, as a community. It parallels exactly what Paul is talking about in chapter nine. We look all around our country, we look all around the city, and I know I'm 40, hold on, fact check. Three, three, thought it was 42 for a minute, but it's 43, I just turned 43, yeah. So 43, and all of my 43 years of being on this earth, I've never seen a world or a nation so divided. Never seen a, di a, a division that has ran rapid through our country in the 43 years of my life. We look around and we see everything is compartmentalized. We see cop lovers. We see cop haters. We see black. We see white. We see Asian. We see Hispanic. We see protesters. We see rioters. We see Republican. We see Democrat. We see looters and we see those who are trying to stop the looting. But when we list all of those people, we see all of the division. We see all of the separation that has happened in a country that once was founded and united under one name of God. But the enemy's at work and he is ripping our country apart. And what breaks my heart the most is when I look at that list that I just shared with you, I ask the question, Where's the church? Where are the believers? And what breaks my heart, and I don't know why the church at times responds this way or, or why we have responded the way that we have, but maybe it's due to lack of spiritual maturity. Maybe it's due to pride. Maybe it's due to our selfish desires. Or maybe it's due to our lack of discipline. But what breaks my heart the most is if, if we were to put a list of all of those, those separations that I just shared with you up on the stage and I said, hey, come and show me which group that you're in. You're thinking, oh God, this is about to get awkward. Yeah, it's gonna get awkward. Because we, for whatever reason, if it's our flesh or whatever it is, we feel the pressure from society that we have to latch on to one of those groups. That we have to say, okay, I'm either a cop lover or I'm a cop hater. I'm either support of the black, I'm either support of the white, I'm either support of the Hispanic, or I'm so, but we think in our narrow-mindedness that we can only be latched to one. Can I tell you that that is exactly the opposite way that Paul would have responded? Paul would have said, my duty as a follower of Christ is to become all things to every person that's on that list. Because it's about Jesus. It's not about a political party. It's not about this or it's not about that. We have got to get back to it being about the name of Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. 
When we see our land healed is when we will realize it's all about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus and it's gonna stay about Jesus. That is the only time there will be peace because that is what unites us all. That is what unites everyone. So holistically, as the church, what breaks my heart is that we're all over the place. We're all over the place. Yeah, because of our faith in Christ, we have the freedom to do and choose what we want to. We've got that freedom. We've got that right. If you've latched on to one of these, guess what? It doesn't affect your salvation. That's the beauty of grace. That's the beauty of forgiveness. But I don't think that's the way that God would have his church respond. Because that's not at all the way Paul responded. You know why Paul didn't respond that way? You know why Paul's heart was to become all things to all people that he might save some? You wanna know that? Just say yes, please, makes me feel better. You wanna know that? Praise God. Flip over to Acts chapter nine. Acts chapter nine. Now keep in mind, at this time when we're gonna be reading from Acts, he is Saul. And Acts chapter seven is really the first time that we begin to hear about Saul and to see the things of Saul. And what's taking place in Acts chapter seven is he is witnessing the stoning or the murder of Stephen. He is watching the murder of a Christian. He's watching a man be stoned to death because of his beliefs. And so, because in this time period, you had two groups. You had the Jews and you had the Christians. They were waging war against one another. But you see, the Jews and the Christians, one would take one side, one would take the other, but we all know what side Saul was on. Saul hated Christians. Saul hated Christians. And if you didn't believe the way Saul did, his job, his duty was to harass you, was to beat you, and potentially kill you and lead to your death. And so what we've seen is is Saul is observing the, the stoning and the murder of Stephen, a man who just didn't believe the way he believed. It's that simple. And so he they thought that it was the opportunity for them to take his life. But then what happens next in the life of Saul? made absolutely no sense to the Jews and made absolutely no sense to even the Christians. Because when they got word that God was using Saul who was about to become Paul, you remember the Christians murmuring, is this not the guy that used to kill us? Is this not the guy that used to persecute us? So even the Christians, you realize what that is? They're questioning God's grace. They're questioning God's ability. They're questioning God's power. God, you can save anyone, but you can't save that dude. Some of you are going, that's exactly how I feel about my spouse. Aren't you? That's, yep, you can love anyone, but not my, yeah, anyway, sorry. But if you look in chapter nine, verses one and two, 
Here's where it all kind of begins. It says, now Saul, still breathing threats of murder against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest and he asked for letters from him to the synagogue at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, which means followers of Christ, both men and women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now remember, keep in mind, Saul has just watched a Christian be murdered. So you would think somewhere watching this innocent man die would have stirred some kind of heartbreak in him, watching this man be stoned to death. But what we see is that it's almost like it added fuel to Saul's fire. Because what he responded with was he went to the high priest and he said, man, can I do this some more? Can I go and find more Christians? And can I do exactly to them what we just did to Stephen? And it's almost like it just added fuel to his fire. I don't know about you, but that's pretty evil. That you watch an innocent man die, but yet you have the desire to do it more. Can I tell you that's how sick the enemy is? Can I tell you that that's how demented the enemy is? Is that he can play with our thoughts and he can create desires in us that are disgusting. And that's exactly what has happened to Saul. But keep looking on down in verse three and it says, as he was traveling, it happened. He was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told to you what you must do. Now, we don't have time to continue to read, but just to kind of give you the cliff note version, we know that what's taking place right here is, is Saul is being saved by God's grace. And so what we see, what we just read is what sets Jesus apart from anything else. What just took place is the very reason that we sing what a wonderful name, what a powerful name, what a beautiful name. What just took place is why we sing of the name Jesus. So we see that this is what sets Jesus apart but Saul's experience with this Jesus is what will lead to setting Paul apart. Because Paul, what you gotta understand in this moment, Saul was deep in his sin. Saul was full of hatred. He was full of what, the, what, what Christians despise. But guess what Jesus did? He didn't say, hey, Saul, straighten up. Straighten up, then I'll fix you. Say, straighten up, fix this, fix that. No, what did he do? Jesus became all things to him that he might save him. He met him in the middle of his sin. He met him in the middle of his darkness. He met him in the middle of his hatred. And he said, hey, I still love you. I still love you. And so we know that that had such an impact on Paul's life that from that moment moving forward, some other things took place, but we know that that's when salvation came and this is when Paul's ministry was birthed. 
This is when his ministry was birthed and it drastically impacted the rest of his life. It drastically impacted his life to the point that he ends up, people believe that he he was martyred for the sake of the gospel. That's a pretty big impact that you're willing to lay down your life. But you know why Paul was able to do it? Because he saw Jesus do it. That's what Jesus had done for him. Jesus laid aside all of his liberty, all of his freedom, so that he might save him. You know, when we as believers, when the church, when we truly experience grace, when we truly experience forgiveness, when we truly experience the love of Jesus Christ, we ought to be able to respond the very same way Paul did because we've tasted, we've tasted such grace. We've seen such mercy. And as followers of Christ, yes, we're to reproduce what Christ did for us. But Paul is giving us another example now that we produce or reproduce the very thing that we've all experienced if you're a believer. That Christ met you where you are in the midst of your darkness, in the midst of your sin, in the midst of your addiction, in the midst of your hatred, in the midst of all of it. And he said, if you'll call on my name, I'll save you. That's love. That is love. And so when we truly experience it, it is our duty as the church to extend that to all. To extend that to all. And so look with me in verse 19 back in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 19, look how much it impacted Paul. Look at what he says in verse 19. For though I am free from all men, meaning that I don't owe man anything. I don't owe man anything. But I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. You know what that's an example of is I'm gonna meet them where they're at. I'm going to meet them where they're at. What is them? Who's them? It's anybody. It's everybody, including people who don't look like me, including people who don't act like me, including people who don't believe the same way that I do. It means that I'm going to be their slave. And what that means is I'm going to do everything I can to serve them. I'm gonna do everything I can to exemplify Christ to them. Because it means he was willing to do anything to see people changed by the gospel. 
And you can read right up under verse 19, he goes on and he says, I'm gonna, to the Jews, I'll be a Jew. To the Gentiles, I'll be a Gentile. To the weak, I'll be weak. And all he's saying is, I am becoming all things to all people that I might save some. You know, we all have the freedom. We all have the liberty in Christ to live and believe what we wanna believe, to act the way we wanna act. But are we willing to do what Paul did? Are we willing to die to our own liberties, to our own freedom for the sake of the gospel, just to meet people where, they're out, where they are? Because if you remember, he just said a moment ago that to the Jew, he became a Jew, meaning that he would honor their practices, meaning that he would still sit down with them and participate in what they were doing. And to those who were without law, which were the Gentiles, he was gonna meet them where they were. And to the weak, and what he's talking about is he's referencing back to the people in chapter eight who weren't strong enough to understand, can I eat meat or can I not eat meat? So basically what he's saying again is I'm going to meet everybody where they are. So you say, well, how do I meet people where they are? You gotta know where they are. The way you meet people where they are is you've gotta learn where they are. And do you know how you learn where they are? Rockets, y'all are really gonna be impressed with how smart I am right here. Did y'all see that? I almost missed the stool. That would have been really awkward. You know how you learn where people are? You ask them. You talk to them. Because I can promise you what I read and what I know about Paul. If he was sitting in this room right now and I went through that list of about 10 or 12 different separations, Paul would be making notes. He would be pulling up on his phone. Okay, who falls into that category? 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 And his schedule next week, I can almost guarantee you, is he would be having conversations with at least one person from every category that we just shared because he wants to know where they are so he can meet them right there. So he can meet them right where they are. It doesn't necessarily mean that he's condoning the way they're acting. It doesn't necessarily mean that he is agreeing with everything that is going on. But what it is saying is that, you know what? My freedom and my liberty, I'm laying them down. If it can have an impact on your eternity. So you say, well, Brian, that all sounds good. But how in the world can we apply that? What is a practical way that we can do exactly what you think you know Paul would do? Have hard conversations. Have hard conversations. You don't have to have the answer because here's the truth. Most people, guess what they want? They just wanna be heard. They just wanna be heard. But you know what they're used to? They're used to the church responding from our flesh and not from the spirit. Because how oftentimes do we see believers when somebody shares their heart, we've asked them how they feel, then they share their heart. And what do we do as the church? That's wrong. That's wrong. You're dumb. I know what that's gonna send you. 
But what if we as a church responded the way that Jesus did? And what if we got on our knees and said, you know what? I get it. I'm sorry. But what can I do as the church to change it? What can I do? How can I minister to you? How can I help you? How can I lock arms and walk with you through this? How can I become all things to you that I may be given a platform to share the gospel with you? So look, Chestnut Mountain, look, the ones I'm talking to in the room and I'm not negating who's at home, but listen, you're the core. I wanna challenge you. We'll stretch you right now, ready? Have one conversation this week, just one. That's all I'm asking. Have one conversation with somebody this week that is hurting. Maybe that's a, a police officer. Maybe that's somebody that's of a different race than you. Maybe that's somebody that stands on a different political party than you do. But have a conversation with them, listen to them. But here's gonna be the next challenge, you ready? Nah, keep your mouth shut. Just let them talk. Just listen to them. Be Christ to them because that's what Paul would have done. Paul would have became all things to all people. And you know, the only way we're ever gonna unite as a country, the only way we're ever gonna unite as a world is under the precious shed blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's it. There's no laws. There's no stipulation. Yes, some of those things may be band-aids on it, but at the end of the day, it all comes down to Jesus. It's all about him and him crucified. And guess what? He was crucified for all. And you know what all stands for in the Greek, right? All is all that all means. Everybody. That's who Jesus is died for and you say well Brian you know what I, that whole uniting under Jesus that whole Jesus thing that's just a cop out that's just the way that the church can write this thing off as we've done our due diligence we've said that Jesus can fix it but Brian at the end of the day Jesus doesn't fix racism Jesus doesn't fix hatred Jesus doesn't solve all of the tensions. Sure he does. And you know why the gospel is offensive to so many? Because it's so simple. Jesus Christ died for all. That's why we are to become all things to all people so that they may be saved. Because you understand that Every red-blooded human being on this planet was created in the image of God. 
Every one of them. Every one of them. No matter where you live, no matter what your skin color is, no matter what Republican or Democratic party you stand on, no matter if you're a rioter, no matter if you were a looter, no matter if you were a protester, guess what? You were created in the image of God and he sent his son to rescue you from this dark place of this earth. We were not meant for this place where we were created to be with him in glory. All of us, all of us. And so Paul closes out here in verses 24 and 25. And he says, do you not know that those who run the race all run, but only one receives the prize? That one is those who were under the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, the church, the believers, we will receive an imperishable. Here's the truth. All this earthly stuff that we're walking through right now, all the prejudice, all the hatred, all of the destruction, everything, guess what? It won't last. Do you know why? Because there's coming a day when the clouds are gonna open and guess what? Our Savior come and gets us. And in that moment, no matter how you believe, the Bible says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That hasn't changed, it's never gonna change, and it will always be the same. But we as the church have gotta latch on to that truth. We've gotta latch on to that promise, and we've gotta live it out. And so what I wanna challenge you is Paul ends that, and he says, you know, I'm not gonna be just like boxing in the air. What Paul's basically saying is, I'm not just gonna talk about it, I'm gonna do something about it. That's my challenge to you, church. That's my challenge to you, church at home. Are we just gonna talk about it or are we gonna do something about it? The only change that's gonna come is the love of Jesus Christ. And when we as the church are living that out to every person we come in contact with, it's all about the gospel. And so now, I want you to stand to your feet. I told y'all it was coming back. Because you know what, I, right up the road this morning, Christ's place has opened back up. Right down in Jefferson, Georgia, they've been opened up for a couple of weeks now. But here's what I want you to think about. Think about the enemy. Think about when he saw Jesus die on the cross, when they put him in the tomb and the the tomb was rolled or the stone was rolled in front. That enemy sitting there going, yep, (laughs) I won this one. I won this one. And then all of a sudden the earth quaked and that stone rolled away. I wonder, I wonder for the last three weeks, has Satan been going, man, I thought I closed the doors. I've got news for him. The church is about to do something that's gonna transform the face of this planet. And it ain't about a church name, but it's about the name of Jesus Christ. And it's time that we sing it like we believe it. I'm gonna shut up and get off.